Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Ken Boa and hear Jenny Abel on navigating transitions in our lives with purpose and hope. Life is short and, you know, I'm in my early 40s, but it's amazing how life just starts to sort of pass you by. And I would just say, don't wait, you know, even if you're in your 20s and 30s, don't wait to start asking, you know, what am I spending my time on? Am I doing, am I spending my life on something that really counts? Jenny Abel, next. Boa and Jenny Abel say times of transition, especially in midlife or later, are ideal moments for reviewing our priorities and making a course correction. Ken and Jenny are with Omnibus Media Ministries and are the authors of Recalibrate Your Life. Jenny, first of all, explain what you mean by recalibrating. Recalibrating, uh, it really is a looking back and then a looking sort of inward and upward at God, inward as to where you are yourself, and then looking forward. So past, present, and future look. It's not something that's necessarily, um, you know, radical or different than something you might find in scripture that you hear about. But um, our book kind of seeks to um, offer some very specific tools and insight into how you go about that kind of process. Do you see this concept in scripture? I think we do indeed. Um, working out your salvation, I think, would be one of the, one of the ways you could phrase it. Um, it's sort of a, a response to that command. We talk a lot about an eternal perspective needing to kind of be the overarching principle um, that's guiding your recalibration process. So that's, you know, fixing your eyes on on what is unseen, on the eternal, um, rather than on the present and the temporary. Who who are you hoping this book is for? I mean, is it specifically for people that are in these points of transition, or is it for anybody realizing that a point of transition, if we're not in one, one is probably right around the corner? Because Jenny just wrote an article to that very point that leverage, uh, that recalibration isn't for later in life alone. Yes. uh, I mean, I think uh, Ken started talking about this concept a little more formally when he was talking to audiences that were approaching retirement or recently retired. So certainly the concept is going to be very relevant to them. But um, as he and I started digesting sort of what this means and how do you do it, Um, I was struck especially by just the idea of thinking about your legacy and making your life count. And some of these big questions that you ask, you tend to ask them later in life, but we really should be asking them earlier. Um, You know, you don't want to get to the end of your life and regret, man, I wish I had lived, you know, better. I wish I lived that way. So I would say anybody, any adult um, who wants to make their life count and you want to um, use your time well, that's the audience here. But especially people who are in in the midst of transition. Those are kind of the natural points when you tend to be prompted to reflect and sort of step back. We, in fact, speaking of transition, Jenny and I speak about Kairos transition and Kronos transition. And Kronos is that intentionality that we embrace and claim that at least an annual basis, if not semi-annual. And here's a here's a tool to make that happen. So what do you do when you go there, even if you choose to be among the few who go? But here's a guide to take you by the hands and do that. But I think it needs to be um, a proactive thing so that we actually make mid-course adjustments in our journey through life. And the metaphor of sailing is obvious. The more you longer you wait, the further off you go off more. But then the other one is the is the um, the kairos, the opportunity ones that are forced upon us, or whether for joy or for pain. And those then become forced recalibrations because of grief or, or gratitude and wonder. 
So Both you've, you've used that you've yeah. used that term Kronos and Kairos. Transition Kronos is something that are you saying that's something when you think of Kronos, you think of chronology, you think of time, yes. you think of progression, yes. but you're saying somehow that is more planned out in our lives, yes. and the Kairos uh, transition is something that is sort of foisted upon us, perhaps by God, God's plan. Something that yes. happens, but we're not, we haven't necessarily foreseen it coming. Yes. So the idea of our chronology is then we can put things in our planner, and that's what we're describing. We can put that in our planner, chronologically speaking, space and time, we can plan. But then Kairos comes up and interrupts our chronos, our plans. And Kairos are those interruptions actually often construed as such. We claim that there should be more properly assigned as in, that invitations um, for us to see things that we otherwise would not have planned and that the most important thing we do this day in the economy of God will not be in our planner. Well, it reminds me of a, of, of a verse in Proverbs that man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. his steps. That's correct. So that you hold your chronos, your plans, with a loose enough grip so that you're willing to allow the spirit to then take over because making the most of your time, chronos, is, and not chronos is not used, but chiron is used the opportunities that you can't plan because the days are short. So the idea of the most important thing you do in terms of the economy of God will then not be on your planner is a very significant notion indeed. Well, can you give us an idea of what this looks like, perhaps an example of how the process has played out? You talk about this is these are opportunities to ask the big questions that perhaps I think Jenny was saying that we might not ask until maybe later in life, but we should be asking now, and these these points of transition are perfect times to ask these yes. big questions. So I actually have a, a good example to kind of demonstrate that how these two kinds of recalibration can work together. Um, so I, I was uh, married for 15 years um, and established, you know, rhythms in my life and everything. And um, then out of the blue, after um, 11 years of infertility and praying a lot and a sort of a slower kind of uh, recalibration process, um, we got pregnant with our first child. I was 38 years old and um, kind of in the middle of a bit of a, you know, a career. I, I really had long envisioned being a mother, but then that didn't happen. And so here I was 38 and um, finding out I was pregnant. That was certainly a moment where I needed to recalibrate, you know, where have I been? And, and that was more of a, this was a good transition. It was, you know, reflecting on God's faithfulness after all those years. And then um, looking ahead to, to what, what this was going to mean for our lives. Now that we have um, actually not one, but two children, um, both miracles, um, mm. we have a deep need for uh, regular recalibration because, you know, when you're in the, in the trenches of parenting, um, you can just keep kind of getting carried along and, and caught up in the weeds of, of life. And it's really easy to just never stop. I mean, there's not a lot of time. Usually you literally have to carve out time in your schedule in order to recalibrate and just find a way to be intentional about checking in, you know, with your spouse and checking in with God, you know, what's, what's gone right, what's gone wrong. How, how do I move forward? Um, and so those are kind of the ways that I've recalibrated or the points that I've recalibrated in my life recently. You're, you're saying you use the word intentional. There's an intentionality here. And mm -hmm. as opposed to what, just sort of being carried along, trying to think about what is happening in your life in terms of your relationship with God uh, mm -hmm. and in terms of where you are. And you're saying these points, whether they're planned or not, are those opportunities to, uh, to, to be intentional about 
where we are, where we're going. And I'm also wondering to what extent are you writing things down? People talk a lot about journaling. So those are two kind of questions. But um, I mean, I would say Ken always talks about how the world defines you by default. And you really have to be in the word daily to continually put his truth in front of you or else you're you're gonna get you know wrapped up in all the things that you're hearing um and your own feelings and all of that um so i think it the intentionality is key because i think we naturally are just going to succumb to whatever whatever the sort of um the weight of the moment is um responding to daily urgent needs as a mother i mean i could easily get caught up in that and forget sort of the big picture of what am i doing these are two eternal souls i'm forming this is not just you know, repetitive activity that, you know, I just do because I have to. Um, I am a writer, so maybe I'm unusual, but I do like to write down my thoughts. Um, Mm -hmm. I have journaled pretty much my whole adult life and really starting in my teenage years. And that's been a powerful way for me to look back and to see God's faithfulness, to also see common themes in my life and patterns, maybe things that I continually struggle with. Um, I still write things down, maybe not as often as I would like or as often as I used to. Um, one of the things I'm doing now is journaling for my children as they're growing up. Mm. Um, so I want them to read those journals later. Um, but I do think writing things down for me makes things more real. It makes it, if you make a commitment to God or to someone else, um, if it's just in your head, you might not tend to follow through on it. And so for me, writing it down makes it real and helps me stay accountable to myself and to God. I'm not sure about Ken. If it, Ken, do you journal? I'm curious. Well, I do in, in my own ways a lot of my teaching is journaling and a lot of my content is is journaling and i came to realize that um there's a whole array of ways in which i actually have through uh, you know i'm a, a, basically a, a um, cognitive curator so i just order things in varying ways and that's a kind of form of journaling as well all these extra resources that are there the ponces and all the other things that we have in those these 12 sources of things that we don't know what to do with them all. So there's a sort of journaling. I, at one time, I didn't think I did, but actually I do it a lot. <laughs> Ideas that I have and writing them down and reflections and collection of things, curating things. So I have a whole history of that. I just didn't realize I was journaling. In the past, I used to say I didn't do that, but now I realize, no, I've been doing it all the time, <laughs> but in a different form, different modality. Even my doodles, as Jenny knows, uh, when I do that is my artwork when I'm um, on the phone is journaling of its own nature. So reflection and that sort of thing. My guest today on, on His People are Dr. Kenneth Boa and Jenny Abel. The book is Recalibrate Your Life, Navigating Transitions with Purpose and Hope. And I'm wondering, Ken, can you give us an example or two of a transition in your own life, a transition recalibrating your life in this way, help you, if you will, navigate a transition? Yes. Yes, I think any sort of transition um, in which, it, whether it's going to be career or other aspects of life in terms of relationships that one has, um, that one stage in life and situation in life will, will vary in the arc of life from youth to old age. So as we get older, the, the concerns become different. But in each one of them, they raise an array of, of choices we need to make. Some are intentional. That's why I say those are the ones I put in my planner that I plan to do, the backward look, the, as Jenna was calling it, the inward look and the upward look, and then the forward look to discern um, where I need to go. So planning with the, the outcome in mind. And then the other uh, idea of, of of responding to these things and being open to God's guidance and planning in, our, in my own life journey. So looking back 
And then being intentional, but also then the other one, how do I respond to sudden changes, whether for good or for ill, as I construe, although I claim that God works all things for, together for mm -hmm. good. So it's my apprehension of that. So how do I process that kairos? How do I, when he tells me to give thanks and all things give thanks, but rejoice always, pray without ceasing, everything give thanks. How can I give thanks for a thing that, that makes no sense to me that seems to be hor horrendous mm -hmm. in the life of a friend who's been injured in such a way? And so then it's the hard thanksgiving and the realization that the out I look, judge it in accordance to the outcome with an eternal perspective. And I see that what God will do in the end will become the thing that will more than make it worthwhile in the pain of the journey. But processing that, anticipating that. And so we being ready when it does happen is a wise thing to do. And the more frequently we do that, the wiser we become. Can you give an example from your life, a, a specific example that people can see, oh, okay, this is this is what it looks like sort of fleshed out in, in real life? Well, there are an, an array of these choices that I've made in, the very, in recent years, in fact, about my own direction in ministry and uh, whether we're going to make it a one-generational impact. This was a big decision we had to wrestle with. Um, or is it something that's going to be transgenerational? And so a transgenerational thing, then I, in my view, would be more consistent with a biblical idea of what a sage is intended to be. And so if a sage is going to be conveying that to another, he, he must increase and others, uh, he must decrease and others increase, uh, not only in Christ, but also in uh, the way he's used uh, in that life of others where she's used in that, that life. So as I see it, then I'm looking at the future and seeing it from with an openness to God's purposes that I might, uh, might not otherwise take. I'm be, being open to the spirit and the prompts of the spirit and open to uh, input from others who have wisdom that I need to hear. So there's a process of assessment and wisdom that uh, that is accumulated and not done in, in, in silence or not done in secrecy. Sometimes it requires community for there to be an understanding of corporate wisdom of discernment. So this is this is where you're actually planning. These are things that you are thinking through in prayerfully and so forth. And yet sometimes the transitions, as you said, are foisted upon us. Uh, it could be suffering, it could be a tragedy, it could be something like that. Talk about how uh, recalibrating applies to those kind of jolting circumstances in our life, e either Ken or, or, or Jenny, and how it helps us to navigate them with, as your subtitle says, with purpose and hope. Any transition that you have, any sort of movement um, from one stage to the next, I think always involves some sort of loss. Um, we talk about that a little bit in our book, um, even if it's a good transition, you know, you might have a, a change in your family status, um, like your your kids have moved away and maybe they've gotten married or something like that and you're, you're happy for them. But, you know, it, you're, the empty nest syndrome is commonly referred to. And I think um, there's a mixture of sort of positive and, and negative in those things. So I think those are moments when we, we feel that sense of loss or pain or lack, um, I think, is a moment when when we need to reevaluate, I think our identity, we talk a lot about in our book about um, rooting your identity in Christ and something that doesn't move and doesn't change. And I think that that's, um, that's a time when you really need to return to those truths. Um, and, you know, your purpose of why you're here, maybe, um, maybe if you've changed, like you, you're an empty nest now, um, you've been pouring into your kids for years, and maybe it's time now you, you still um, are gifted with certain things and experiences from your parenting, maybe you can now pour that into somebody else or another group of people.
Well, the book is Recalibrate Your Life, Navigating Transitions with Purpose and Hope. And in your book, you write a major component of, of this recalibration is returning to or discovering for the first time a sense of personal purpose in life. Would you explain what that looks like and is that synonymous with our calling? We have a calling that I think is an unchanging reason for being. Uh, that's what I mean by vocari, a calling which transcends our careers and our circumstances so that that vocation is something to which we're called but that will change and the nature of that will need to be revisited i think this is where we recalibrate where you reassess it this is you suppose you have a great novel that if it's really worthy of that in, input it's worthy of another visit or something that a great film uh, so there's some things because we are different and, and we see more from that than we did before. We see it with new eyes and fresh under, in, and insights. And so it is as well with the greatest story ever told, that we embed ourselves in God's great story. But we re revisit it and see where we've been on the journey, looking back with with um, with eyes that are, have us enough perspective to see what we couldn't have learned when we were younger, and recognizing that most of our significant um, insights for gain more through suffering than through success. And so how, how do we discover that sense of purpose or you said vocation? Uh, is mm -hmm. there, I mean, is it, is it simply, if we don't realize, if we don't understand what it is, is it just a matter of asking God? Well, there's a, there, I think there are some disciplines in which we can engage. And so there's a matter of, of, of actually um, asking for wisdom and not only in your own discernment, but look again, looking back and doing a, an assessment. I use various instruments as well that help people to discern what they love to do and what they do well. And then that small ground of overlap between what they are passionate about and what they are competent at doing. It's not a great deal of overlap. Hmm. And then but within that small circle, what's going to pay the bills? But I invite people to pursue what they love to do, what they're passionate about, their motivated ability. And if they find that, then the funding will find itself. And so having a way of going back, what are my true values, rather than being carried along by the by the nose of society or culture that would invite us to see, because as I like to put it, and Jenny knows, any dead fish can float downstream. You've got to be alive to go against the, the current. And the biblical vision of life is always countercultural and often counterintuitive. And so we are invited then to really listen to the quiet prompts of the spirit of God as we go in this, uh, this risk-filled venture. I was going to just add to that. Um, there is a tool specifically in the book um, for looking for what your personal sort of unique purpose is. Um, but I want to point out that we do talk about sort of ways, uh, basic foundations for those, possibly um, starting with just a verse from scripture, because we have these um, ultimate purposes, universal purposes of God um, to know him, make him known. Um, that every believer should should have. But then the question is, how how does my um, my specific gifting, my circumstances fit within that? Um, I also wanted to point out that um, I think community is key also in this question of purpose, because I think sometimes we are blind to our own um, weaknesses and even our own strengths. And I think it really helps to have somebody else um, either recalibrating with you or somebody that you're speaking with um, to help you kind of see your purpose. I think it's it's not good to do this as a lone ranger, so. Can you give an example or two of, and you do in the book, of major biblical characters and the circumstances in which they learned their unique 
purpose in life, perhaps at a transition point? Yeah, there's a whole litany there. And, and everyone from, you know, 80s and 70 year old, uh, you know, Moses, Abraham, Caleb, and then down to, you know, Jeremiah um, and some of the other prophets that really resisted their sense of purpose. Um, and I think that's important to note, too, that, you know, sometimes I think we glorify this idea of purpose and purpose is a fulfilling thing. But sometimes the purpose uh, really always any purpose that's given by God is going to require sacrifice and, you know, pouring out yourself, not necessarily just being happy. Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And in terms of, you mentioned, uh, I think each of you have mentioned a tool. You have a tool for uh, some things, a tool for discovering your purpose. Can you describe what you mean by a tool? So we have a, there's an index in the back of the book, but there are 18 tools in the book, um, specifically um, focus on just helping you know how to recalibrate. Because I think if if left to sort of this general vague concept, it's hard to know where to start. Um, So these kind of encompass all the different uh, aspects of life, work. Um, time, stewardship. Um, we have seven of these tools are actually online for free at recalibrateyourlife.org. Um, and then the rest of them are in the book. So, Can you, can you touch on what some of them are? The index of tools I'm looking at, uh, Jenny, and so that rooting your identity in Christ or guide to a personal recalibration retreat, retreat that one alone is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. Because when a person chooses to take the risk of investing in advance a, a significant period of time even if it's a, a half a day what they need to know and be taken by the hand let me guide you through this process of how to do that and so there's a whole array of tools that um ask us questions about processing your unique purpose and we discuss that or brief tips for stewarding your time or putting your affairs in order with meaning and purpose or putting your financial affairs in order and writing life letters and you're writing your own eulogy, very practical things that people would want to do, but often will never actually make the, make the time to do. The important versus the urgent. And, That's correct. Uh, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I know our time is going very quickly. I wanted to ask you about something you mentioned at the beginning, that of uh, that part of this is looking at life from an eternal perspective. What is that? And then how is that acquired? If somebody says, I, I don't know what that is, or how, how do I acquire an eternal perspective looking beyond uh, life here on earth? Your theme verses actually on your website um, from Hebrews 11, talking about uh, we're pilgrims here. We're not per- permanent residents on earth. Um, we're to be living with a longing for a better country. And I think often we kind of set up shop here like we're going to be here forever. Um, and we kind of spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to, you know, do do various things, whether it's arrange our home or, you know, make the most in the stock market or whatever. And we don't spend nearly enough time uh, thinking about how we're investing in the things of, you know, eternal value. It's a mathematical matter. It has to do with people making the mistake of treating the temporal as if it's going to last forever and the eternal as if it's something they can wait on later on and maybe address then. And by that time, it's too late. So they presume on the future. The interesting thing, though, it takes no faith to understand that one out of one dies. And so it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And for I, my a phrase I, Jenny knows I like to use is age conspires with God mm. to transfer our hope from the temporal to the eternal. It's a conspiracy because as we, ver- as we age, as we diminish, it ought to be an invitation to realize your, your times around the sun go faster and faster, each each circuit around than the one before. 
and there's there's an intentionality to drive us or draw us to become more homesick and earth world weary though as lewis rightly says it's not the people who are most uh, heavenly minded who do most uh, least earthly good it's the, they're the ones who do the most because they realize the precious present and the opportunity that you're going to have this day will either be invested or squandered but you'll never get it again and I'm wondering if you would talk about the concept, the biblical idea of stewardship and how it connects to recalibrating your life. I'll say just a quick word, and sure. you might want to supplement this, Jenny, if you wish. Um, um, we, we go beyond the usual three T's of stewardship of time, talent, and treasure, and we claim that those are all, all on loan. They're not ours. They're given to us, and we will then uh, have to either we're going to either use them to transmute them from the lead of that which is passing away or uh, into the gold of that which is going to endure forever, or we're going to squander them and miss out on the opportunity, but you'll never get them again. So then the other two that we add are, 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 are truth and people, and those are the two things that will last forever. So Luke 16, 9 to 23 would be, uh, would be the uh, 19 to 23 would be the ones. Um, therefore, I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. So that when it fails, and that's when you die, you're going to leave it all behind. There'll be people to receive you into the eternal dwellings. So in other words, I'm going to be wise to transmute my funds from the currency of earth into the currency of heaven, which is relationships, and that God's truth will endure forever, and building it into people will last forever. That's a that's a life well led, because you'll never get it back. How does it help us to uh, navigate the transition of retirement? Yeah, the question of purpose comes to mind, and uh, so if He's uh, He's given us, um, He's ordained in us that we could walk in them to accomplish good works and so forth. What's that going to look like now? So I need to revisit that. Where am I now? And if I don't do that, I'm going to be diminishing my vision of what's possible by actually dropping out of the race. So I have to have an informed biblical infused with scripture that's going to involve not stopping the risk-taking process, but continuing to risk because you are called to risk by pursuing the unseen over the seen and the not yet over the now, which is the faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's a huge risk. And so only those who are willing to take that risk will actually, um, I think, finish well. So that my call is to take that which is passing away. You don't see a U-Haul behind a hearse. And you, it's, it's to transmute it into the gold of what's going to endure forever, and that's relationships. And I think the best thing I can do then is to take uh, use in depth that's all that I've been given so that I, it becomes other-centered. And then it's given away. It's only what I give away is going to be mine in the end. Well, the book is Recalibrate Your Life, Navigating Transitions with Purpose and Hope. My guests are uh, Dr. Kenneth Boa and Jenny Abel. Toward the end of the book, uh, either Jenny or, or, or Ken, uh, you talk about writing our own eulogy. Uh, wh why do you suggest that, and uh, what, what, is the, what is the benefit of that? I think this gets at the quote by uh, Kierkegaard of defining life backward, but living it forward. Um, you know, when you think about what you're going to be remembered by, um, you know, are, what are you living for today that is of lasting value that is going to matter in the long run? And I think, you know, this feels a little, you know, morbid to do this or whatever. And so it can be a personal exercise you keep at home if you'd rather. But um, I think it's something that, that helps you really focus on an eternal perspective of making sure that you're living for the right thing, spending and investing your time and all of your other resources wisely now.
Jenny or, or Ken, your hope for Recalibrate Your Life for those that, that take the time to, uh, to read it and take advantage of the tools that you provide? I think would, my hope would be that it would encourage, equip, and empower people to make the best yet to come by walking in a way that's taking increasing risk in the pur purposes and promises of God and by opening themselves up to the um, guidance of the Holy Spirit so that they use the time that's left with, with a sense of urgency without anxiety. Jenny, any, anything else? I would say, well, life is short and, you know, I'm in my early 40s, but it's amazing how life just starts to sort of pass you by. And I would just say, don't wait, you know, even if you're in your 20s and 30s, don't wait to start asking, you know, what am I spending my time on? Am I doing, am I spending my life on something that really counts? You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guests, Ken Boa and Jenny Abel of Omnibus Media Ministries and co-authors of Recalibrate Your Life, Navigating Transitions with Purpose and Hope. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Andre Wang on lessons he learned running for political office. And so that's why I said, you know, if I do this, I'm going to do this to really, truly serve the community uh, and, um, and to... Uh, not, not not to glorify myself, uh, but uh, you know to honor you know honor the community and honor honor God uh, who 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 I felt you know, I feel still feel called me to do it. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.